What's up, everybody? Welcome back into another edition of Bar Top Sports Talk. You guys are tuning in for episode 45. As always, you're joined by your host, Tina Bernal, co-host, Ryan Murray, Big Murph. What do you guys say to the people this week, Ryan? Rock Chalk. Rock Chalk is right. It's that time of year, March Madness. I know everyone is ecstatic this week. It was an unbelievable time if you're a sports fan, not only for college basketball, NFL free agency took place this week. We have the WBC getting close to the finals. I believe we're still in the semifinal. We're in the semifinal round now. You have spring training coming to an end. Opening day is right around the corner. The NBA season, their NBA regular season is coming to a close. I think there's only a couple weeks left. The NBA MVP race is heating up. The rookie of the year race is heating up. It's just a very, very exciting time to be a sports fan. We have a lot to get into for episode 45, but firstly, I want to say thank you all for listening to us along this journey. We had some people, Ryan, did you know this? We had some people listening from Germany. That's wild. According to the metrics that we get from each episode, we get uh, statistics, which is pretty interesting to take a look at after every episode, kind of things we can improve on, things we could add, not add. I don't know. I'll take a look at it. It's pretty cool. But we hope we all enjoyed episode 44. Episode 45 is going to be a good one. And we all hope you are having a good week. Today's St. Patrick's Day. I'm sure you all are having a good time. It's 5 o'clock somewhere, right? I'm sure, I'm sure there's been people that have already had an early start. I'll probably have a few. In honor of St. Patrick's Day, I even have my Celtics green on. I have my Celtics beanie, Celtics hoodie. Ryan, I gave you a pass. You do have some green socks on. But he is repping for the culture. With the boys in the hood shirt. Did Noel pick that one out? No, nah, that was me. Dang, okay, okay. I like it, I like it. So th- some things to look forward to for this 45th episode of Bar Top Sports Talk. We have March Madness, of course. We're going to switch things up a bit. Lately, we've been talking baseball at the top of the show. We're going to talk college hoops, of course, given the time. Some things to look forward to for the NFL as well. We're going to break down some of the top free agency moves, some of the some of the trades that made headlines of course the chiefs will have our third top priority if you've been paying attention the last couple of weeks me and ryan have discussed the top needs of position for the kansas city chiefs so the first two we agreed that the first one was offensive line or the first one was defensive line the second one was the offensive line we'll see what happens this third week we never we never really plan it we kind of—I know—we agreed the last two ones, but we never really planned it. I'm excited for to see what Ryan has to say. It's going to be interesting, and we'll highlight some of the additions that the Chiefs have made. We've had some departures as well, but that's okay. And Brett Beach, we trust. MLB will come third. It'll be our third segment of the day. Going to talk some Royal Spring Training as well as the WBC. A lot of controversy. As of late in the WBC, have you paid attention to that, Ryan? Mm-hmm. So it's it's stirred a started a conversation that I want to get into. I want to see your take on that, so you all can listen for that later in the show. And we're going to close out the 45th episode of Bartos Sports Talk with some NBA talk. As I mentioned, the NBA season I believe is down to what two weeks, roughly yeah, about 14, 15 games. So it's it's getting into crunch time. I mentioned the MVP race. We're going to talk take a look at that. And we're going to take a look at the standings, the playoff seating in the West. We're going to keep you guys up to date on that. 
last episode, I think that, what was it? Seeds six through 13 were separated by what, two or three games? Mm-hmm. I don't think much has changed, but we're going to give you guys an in-depth look at that as well to end this 45th episode. But now that's enough. I've talked enough. We're going to talk some college hoops. March Madness. We've already seen an exciting day on Thursday for the round of 64. Kansas Jayhawks survived. Survive in advance. That's the main goal right now. Ryan, would you t- what was your thoughts on the open round game against Howard? I thought we played well. We did what we were supposed to against the 16th seed. Grady Dick had a bounce back game, really. He hasn't really had a game like that in a few months. I thought that was important. Double-double. 19 and 11, right? Yeah, he had a really good game. He shot the ball efficiently, which is something we haven't seen in a while. I think that's good moving forward. It was fairly close to start the game, or at least the first half. We only we did go on a run and ended up being up by 13 at halftime. But the Howard Bison, I mean, they hung with us for a little bit. Yeah, Jalen Wilson with 20 points as well. Grady Dick have 19 points and 11 rebounds. Kevin McCuller with 10 and 7. That was nice. Dewan Harris. This is the key ingredient for KU. 11 points. I believe we are now 24-0 when he gets into double digits. I don't know what it is. I know we need people to step up, but for whatever reason, whenever he does, just things, things start clicking for us. It's really cool to see. Looking forward for the round of 32, we have the Arkansas Razorbacks. Pretty athletic team. I've seen that they're kind of lengthy, I believe. Yeah. They had their opening round win against Illinois. Their leading scorer was Council, Ricky Council, 6'6 junior. It's going to be an interesting matchup. Do you have any notes on that run? Yeah, we got to crash the boards. They get to the line a lot. We got to take care of the ball. Me always do, but especially in March, each possession is more important. It seems like it's magnified. Absolutely. Can't turn the ball over. Crashing the boards is definitely important. I'd say free throw shooting, too. Yeah. That can win, you, win or lose you a game in March. Yeah, they shot 29 last game. So we got to make sure we, we cannot get in foul trouble against this team. Especially in the post. Just given that K.J. Adams, sometimes he can get foul happy. And after that, it's kind of an inexperienced group. Yeah. With Ernest Uday, sometimes we get Edge of Four in, Zach Clements. I think if you're the coaching staff, you'd like not to rely on him in March. But, I mean, hopefully he can step up. Speaking of the coaching staff, Bill Self missed the opening round game. I was kind of surprised. I thought he would be on the sideline. He was in the hotel. If you all paid attention to the Big 12 tournament over this past weekend, he nearly, he well, he didn't nearly. It could have led to a heart attack. There was a blockage, I believe. Yeah. And they had to do a minor procedure in Kansas City. Thankfully, everything was a success, and Bill was had a full recovery. But he's, they're still being very cautious with him. Now, I wonder, does he coach against Arkansas? I hope so, but I mean, his health's the primary concern. At the end of the day, it is just a game. That is true. Still a young dude, really. So. 
Yeah, he's still relatively young. I believe in his mid to late 50s, 57 probably. For some reason, I thought it was 60s. I don't know. That's one stat I don't know. You know what? Let's look it up. He's 60. Oh, he is 60. Right mm-hmm. on the dot? Mm-hmm. Oh. I was trying to take some years off of him. He looks great. <laughs> he does. He looks like he's in pretty good shape. Bill Self the man. Jalen Wilson picked up another accolade. He was the Big 12 Player of the Year, as we mentioned in the last episode. This week, earlier this week, he got named to the AP First Team All-American team. Another prestigious honor for him. Another Kansas Jayhawk that claims this prestigious award. Not necessarily a award, but a member of this exclusive team. I think that's, that's really cool. We talked about it last week. Seeing him as a freshman, you did not expect he would reach this point. A kid that broke his foot. Sophomore year, he wasn't really a factor. Junior year, he really stepped up on the national title run. And then this year, I mean, he's been unbelievable. 20-point ball game, the opening round. He has to be key. We need him big time, that's for sure. I'm excited to see what he does. Now, we were going to do this episode on Wednesday like we normally do. Unfortunately, we had some scheduling conflictions, which is okay. We still have a lot to talk about, but we were going to highlight or preview the bracket. That was going to be, we're going to go super into depth about that on Wednesday, but we can still talk about it a little bit. So the Bar Top Sports Talk Tournament Challenge. I am in second to last place, or third to last place. I have fourth place, fourth to last, and third to last. Not looking good. Ryan, you're second to last. What? I thought I was tied for third. There's a four-way tie for third, right? So the top one, I believe, is my brother, David, if you all know him from the guest, my host, dude. guest host appearance. He has 150 points. I have a, a co-worker with 150 points. They pick Purdue. I believe my fiance is at the top once again. Unfortunately, she picked Duke, though. Hopefully that doesn't happen. Sorry, Marissa. I had a former coach. He's in there at third place, or technically he's tied for third. Football coach? Yes. That's awesome. Yeah, ran into him at the grocery store, was able to say, hey, you want to play some ESPN Tournament Challenge app? He said, sure. So, I mean, there we go. I was just trying to get as many people as we could. Ryan, take a, what went wrong with your bracket so far? I mean, Virginia got beat. That was pretty bad. Who did you have in your final four? My, uh... Baylor, Duke, Texas A&M, and Kansas. Oh, I'm sorry. You were you were high in their standings. Yeah, I'm going to drop pretty bad, though, losing a Final Four team. Which one was it? Sorry. Baylor? Uh, Texas A&M. Oh, you had A&M in the Final Four? Yeah, I mean, they finished second in the SEC. Wow. I didn't think they'd lose to Penn State. Wasn't I think I saw something that was Penn State's first tournament win since 2001 or something crazy like that. Something like that. They are not known for their basketball team. And not to mention I had Arizona in the Sweet 16, too. So that was kind of tough. Now mine, so I made two, as I mentioned. One of them, 
I had Arizona in the Final Four. I also had Virginia upsetting Alabama in the Sweet 16. I think those were the two that really hurt me. I had Oral Roberts going to the Sweet 16. I was banking on the Cinderella. Yeah, I don't know, man. There's no such thing as a bad pick because anything can happen. It's just sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't. I actually had A&M going to the Sweet 16 as well. I had them upset in Texas. I mean, they're a really good team, solid team. It's just sometimes... I don't know. I was even wild in the few brackets I had. Iowa upsetting Houston in the round of 32. But I think Auburn, we talked about it last night off the show, that we think Auburn's going to more than likely do that. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. They haven't really played a lot of competition. So my final four in this one, though, it was Arizona, Purdue, Kansas, and Houston. Of course, I'm picking KU. And then my other one, let's take a look at that. It's doing a little bit better, but not by much. Do you have two in the bar top group, or is this just a separate one? I have a two in the bar top group. So my final four is still intact for the moment. I have Alabama, Marquette, Texas, and Kansas. Texas and Kansas with the rematch. KU gets the best of them. KU versus Alabama in the in the championship game. Rock chalk. Still could be. Still could happen. That 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 dream is still alive. Thankfully, we'll see though. We're going to keep you guys updated every single week. Well, it's only this week, next week, and the week after. So it's not only a three-week, I guess, update, unfortunately. March Madness would be awesome if it was four weeks. Imagine a whole month. I don't know if my heart could take it. Yeah, that that would be a lot of stress. I do agree there. Some of the highlights that have happened. How about the upset? The upset of yesterday. Arizona was obviously the biggest one. Furman, upset in Virginia, though. Nobody saw that coming. Princeton. Now, you mentioned Princeton. You said that Missouri got a lucky draw going against them. Yeah. I mean, they won the game, so, I mean, you can't take them lightly, but it's one of those. Some of my picks, I had Oral, or I had Boise State beating Northwestern. That fell short as well. Most of the top seeds, though, they advanced. Tennessee went down to the wire against Louisiana. And then even today, we can take a look at some of the games that have occurred so far. Marquette, they only hold a five-point lead over Vermont. Wow. Iowa State's getting ran. Yes, they are. Xavier narrowly escaped Kennesaw State. Baylor pulled away from USB. I'll tell you what, it, it wasn't a good day yesterday, yesterday for me for, for the betting landscape of all of this. Dang. What happened? Oh, I didn't lose a lot of money. I mean, I didn't really bet a lot of money. There was a super boost, though, that I took full advantage of. It was Kansas, Houston, UCLA, and there was another one. Who else was it? Alabama. Kansas, Houston, UCLA, and Alabama all had to win by 11. At 11 or more in order for me to win. So I bet $5 and I won 15 Which, 
Okay, I'll take 15 bucks. Profit's profit. Profit is absolutely profit. I believe as of now, there are only a little over 400 perfect brackets left. How unbelievable is that? That's wild. I don't I don't understand how people just just get so lucky. I mean, I want to know I want to see the thought process that went into that. How they decided a team over the other. Cuz they that means that they had Princeton winning. That means that they had Arizona getting up or that means they had Furman winning. You know, just teams that you wouldn't expect. Utah State was a popular upset pick over Missouri, but Missouri won it. It's it's interesting. This time of year is very interesting to see people's thought process and how they decide to pick. There's by this end of this weekend, there's gonna be no perfect bracket. I don't I don't believe there could be, but it's not very likely. Some people may make it to the round of six or Sweet Sixteen safe though. Now we can take a look at the updated odds for who's gonna win the national championship for March Madness. I'm assuming Alabama probably still has the top one. We'll look at sportsbetting.dome. Houston still has plus 40, 450. Alabama plus 500. UCLA at plus 900. They're the third highest odds. Purdue with, at plus 1,000. Texas at plus 1,300. Kansas at plus 1,400. Disrespectful. Well, I guess Bill not playing or not coaching and then the McCuller injury going into the tournament. You didn't know how many minutes he was going to play or if he'd play. But it seemed like he was good. I think that's a little disrespectful. But I'm surprised how high people are on UCLA. I know. Who have they beat? Their top player is out, I believe, as well. Northwestern's upset some people this year. I know they've lost some bad games, too, but they can hoop. So before we move on to our NFL frenzy, free agency frenzy, we can take a look at some teams to, in our opinion, who to look out for in the Sweet 16. Because we're not, we're not going to be able to really talk about it until next week do you think Furman could make it to the sweet 16 do they get past san diego state do you think princeton can i don't know anybody can get hot i want to say no but you never know i mean i'd be surprised if princeton made it another game but it'd be cool i'm rooting for him that'd be awesome do you think penn state gives texas any trouble in round 32 I'd be surprised. They, you can't take them lightly, though. They won for a reason. I'm sure people are gonna, they're gonna take their shots at the Jayhawks. They're probably gonna bet heavy on Arkansas. I mean, you have a good chance of winning, or not really a good chance of winning some money. You have high odds of winning money if Arkansas were to win. I say the upset to go for in the round of 32 though is Auburn over Houston. I think that's a, that could be a good lock depending on what the the money line is and what the spread, the point spread is, maybe even the points. Because Houston's not really a high-scoring team. They play at a pretty slow pace. I think Kent State over Indiana would be cool. I think that's a little I've actually picked sneaky. that in a few brackets. I picked that. 
Who do you think is, before we close out, who do you think is this year's Cinderella that could at least make it to the Elite Eight, a lower, a lower or a higher-seeded team? Kentucky. Kentucky. Yeah. They have an opening round matchup against Providence later today. Would be interesting. Would you really count them as a Cinderella, though? Six seed. What would you count? Like a Cinderella, like 10 plus? Yeah, probably. Or an eight or nine. I just say Kentucky because I feel like they've underachieved this year, but I'm not sure. That might present a, a round of 32 matchup with Kansas State. That'd be wild. That would be interesting. Maybe Arizona State? They have played pretty well. They had a good into their regular season in the Pac-12 tournament. Obviously, they came up short in the championship, but I think they're a team to watch out for, too. They could give... Who, who are they playing? Uh, TCU. They could give TCU some trouble. TCU... I didn't know that their big guy, Eddie Lampkin, mm-hmm. I didn't know he was away from the program. Yeah, I believe he's already in the portal or whatever. That's so weird how that just happened in the middle of the season and really in the middle of the spring semester. Yeah. I don't know. I think the winner of that game plays the winner of Gonzaga and Grand Canyon or something. I mean, if they get hot, it'd be kind of cool. I don't know how TCU is going to do without their big man like that. But you never know. It's going to be interesting. We'll see. We'll see who makes it past the round of 32. Tune in for episode 46 to get our thoughts on the opening weekend and some of the preview for the Sweet 16 slash Elite Eight. Kansas, hopefully we make it. We'll be, that means we'll be in Las Vegas. Yeah, tomorrow at 4.15. Rock chalk. Now we get into the NFL. And I mean, I can't say this enough. The week that the NFL had... It, it was just a spectacle. I'll say that. It was a spectacle. I know Adam Schefter's phone had to have been blown up. <laughs> he had his phone. He had to have the portable charger. He had to have all of his notifications turned on from everybody. He's probably getting text messages. One of the biggest news, or the first news that broke, and it really happened towards the end of last week, the Chicago Bears moved up. To, or the Chicago Bears traded with the Carolina Panthers to move up to number one overall. Chicago Bears moved back to number nine, and they also got a few draft picks, and they received DJ Moore in the process as well. I think that is a very, very good move for them. They needed extra picks. They get their number one wide receiver. But now the Panthers are saying that they might not stay at number one. There's talks that they might possibly trade back and try to get draft picks as well. Although there's been sources saying that they're going to potentially draft C.J. Stroud at number one. Hmm. The quarterback room for this draft class is interesting. Any one of those guys could go number one. I think if if any of the teams take Anthony Richardson number one, that is a huge gamble. They are doing that purely on potential. Because he's not a polished product like Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. The Lamar Jackson situation continues to 
be monitored by everyone. He, as of two days ago, I believe he was allowed to entertain offers from other teams, but no, no news yet. I believe so. The non-exclusive tag he's on, I believe, is thirty-two million. I think if he were to play with that, I think believe that's fully guaranteed. But there's also the chance that he could sit out this season, which really I wouldn't put it past him. Not to, not to be judge his character or anything, but you know why why risk your long term health when you don't have a deal in place? You know what I mean? Yeah, and I'm I sure, and I'm sure that's what people who are close to him have you know pushed told him or try to have conversations with him about that. He is going to be the last big domino to fall in the quarterback market because this guy, we found out the news about him from a fellow podcast. No correlation, but Aaron Rodgers got on the Pat McAfee show once again, made his probably what weekly appearance. Yeah, I think it's every Tuesday or something like that. He announced that he, in a roundabout way, he announced he was going to the New York Jets, or he, he would like to play with the New York Jets. He claims that that's not that wasn't his intention to make an announcement or anything. He said that he already made the decision the week prior. Aaron, who are you fooling? And that dude is so corny. If you could say one thing to him, what would you say? Like if you were face to face with him. You want to get into the Hall of Fame, right? You want to be known as a great. Off the field stuff definitely does matter when it comes to that. You've been to one Super Bowl, two NFC championship. This weird, the vaccine thing, doing drugs, being weird. The darkness retreat, whatever, it's not looking good. That's what you would say to him? Yeah, just quit being a weirdo. Now he, he he's playing the victim. And it's so weird. I I laugh at the fact that he tries to say that the media is the one that, you know, portrays him in sort of a bad light, I guess. But yeah, he said they're making him the villain. I, I just think it's funny because he, how are you going to say, you know, to an extent that this wasn't an, an announcement. You just wanted to clear the air on some of the, the news that was circulating, or I guess the rumors that were circulating around the around the NFL, you went on there with full thought, or fully knowing that you were going to make an announcement. Well, Every week he goes on there and says something ornery, just disrespectful to the franchise, or I don't know. It's just he did he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to get on a podcast to say that. He could have I don't know made an open letter. What is it the 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 athletic or what is it the players association or something players tribune players tribune know, yeah like release some kind of article or something like that he could have done that i don't know i think it just added fuel to his ego he got what he wanted people talked about it we're talking about it i mean just because it's relevant him with the jets though i highlighted that i want to say probably four episodes ago Something like that. What do you think about it? AFC East? It's going to be pretty tough. 
Mahomes is going to win it all again anyway. So why would you want to move to the AFC? If you have trouble winning in the NFC, and underachieving really, they've given you everything you wanted. What, two years ago he had a Pro Bowl running back, Pro, Pro Bowl receiver. People leave. The Packers have tried to give him talent. His contract was structured poorly. Now it's, he wants to leave. He gave the Jets the weird request list on who he wants there. He, you know, last year he was bashing his young wide receivers, never took accountability. So now he's going to go to another young team in the AFC in a tough conference. I just don't see it working out. I think it's going to be a dumpster fire. I'm interested to see how much the Jets invest into him because they there's been talks that it's going to cost two first rounders which if that's the case I really start to question whether I want this guy on my team his level of play is it's not a question his age is a major factor what 38 39 Ooh, I believe he'll turn 40 this year I could be wrong I can't remember I don't know I didn't his birthday but it's kind of the same, similar situation with Tom Brady. The Patriots had a, at the end, in, later in his 30s, they had to take it year by year. Now, of course, he was under contract for a while. I don't know the specifics of it. But once he reached about 38, 39, I believe they had to start playing it by one to two years. And then when he went to Tampa, they had to do it, you know, one to two years. He signed a two year deal, two year, $50 million deal. And then, he signed a one-year deal, I believe, this past this past year in 2022. The Jets, Aaron Rodgers' current contract, he has two years left on his deal, $60 million. Is there some way that you can potentially have Green Bay eat some of that and then you maybe you split it 30-30? But the draft picks, do you really want to give up your future for a 39-year-old going on 40. I mean, I understand they've basically haven't had a quarterback since what Joe Namath or what, however you say his name. <laughs> so I understand yeah. you have a young team. You want to win. But if you're already going young, you had a good defense. They started off the first seven or eight games, one of the best defenses. They kind of fell off towards the end. I, I don't know. They were on the field a lot, too. I don't know because you got to think I feel like you're almost selling your future for one or two seasons maybe it reminds me of Kevin Durant this past offseason he basically held the Nets for ransom in, in a way yeah because he's putting them in a situation that do we try to work something out long term with this guy and Kevin Durant's 34 he's in the prime of his career of course but 34 in the NBA might as well be you're about to reach your end. Now, obviously, Kevin Durant, he could still play a long time. Just given the way the NBA is today, it's a little bit different from the NFL, but the age factor is what I'm basically hinting at. I think maybe being a big distraction, I, I'm, I don't think that could help. You have a lot of young players, too, still trying to find their footing in the league, and now you're going to bring that distraction. And then also all the stuff the past two years, not really perf- uh, what, OTAs, is that what it's called? Yeah. Like the preseason stuff, like not going to the training camp, not working out with the young guys, not really communicating with the team. And you could say maybe he's just upset with the Packers. You know, that's why he wouldn't do any of that. But you'd think you'd 
if you want to win, you think you would try and like be a part of the team, especially with a young receiving core. Try and I, I just don't think it's a good idea. I might just be a hater though. Maybe I'm letting his off the field stuff mess with it. I mean, yeah, I think you're you're pretty on target. Last year was not a good season for him, and it could contribute to him not building a relationship with those young guys last off season. And then bashing them to the media like that. They started to turn it on later in the season, but at that point, it was already too late. All you had to do was win, win at Detroit and couldn't. It actually was in Green Bay, I believe. The last game of the season, is that what you're referring to? Yeah, but didn't they just have to beat Detroit and they yeah. had been in the playoffs? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, no, they did, but uh, they Seattle Seahawks won, and that eliminated them based off record, I believe. Oh, dang. That's enough of Aaron Rodgers. I know that gets you worked up, Ryan. He's just corny. But he was the, I've mentioned in episode 44, him and Lamar were the two next huge dominoes to fall in the quarterback landscape. Lamar is left. There's still teams that I think they're going to possibly consider trading for him, if not offering him a, uh, a signing sheet. Because that's what the non-exclusive franchise tag does for the Ravens. Lamar can entertain these offers, but the Baltimore Ravens have the opportunity to then match that. And, of course, no one's done it yet because if a team were to do that, say they offer Lamar $50 million a season, they have to keep that deal in place until the Ravens match that, which means... If they're offering this guy $50 million, it looks like $50 million is off of their salary cap. So then they can't make any free agency moves. So it's basically holding the rest of the league hostage. Teams that are in need of a quarterback. It's, it, I've never seen anything like that in the NFL. It's definitely an anomaly. Another headline player, or I guess star player that made headline news, Jalen Ramsey was traded to the Dolphins. For a 2023 third-round pick and a tight end from the Dolphins. He's paired with Xavier Howard. The Dolphins' defense is starting to improve. I believe they recently added, uh, what was the Broncos coach? Chuck, or not, Vic Fangio, I believe is his name. He's a great defensive mind. You now have probably a top five corner duo in the league. Now, these next two players that I'm going to mention, this pay attention to this because this or these signings will have an impact for the Chiefs. Deron Payne and the Washington Commanders signed a four-year, $90 million deal. Javon Hargrave, signed a four-year, $86 million deal with the San Francisco 49ers. Now, you may ask, you know, why, are, why do those deals matter for the Kansas City Chiefs? I'm kind of alluding to a defensive tackle position, specifically Chris Jones. We've talked about it. He is due for an extension. He is our top priority now since Orlando Brown Jr. has signed with the Cincinnati Bengals. Those deals impact him because how much money do you think he gets now? I don't know. NFL contracts are weird. I know we're still trying to go young, but also with Frank Clark leaving, 
I mean, I say you give him whatever he wants. Like, I mean, nothing too crazy, but I'd like I'd like us to keep him, whatever it takes. I wonder where his mind is. I wonder if he is in the boat of I should be paid more than those guys. He's obviously better than Deron Payne and Javon Hargrave. Those are very good players, but I think everyone would agree Chris Jones is better than them. Chris Jones is arguably the second best defensive tackle currently behind Aaron Donald. I just think Aaron Donald's up here. If you could see me, I have my hands. But Aaron Donald's in a league of his own in terms of his play, in terms of money. I don't think anyone should really be too close to him. Chris Jones, you obviously want to probably give him about $20 million a year, though. I mean, he's, he's just earned that. I wonder if he will also take a team-friendly deal where he'll still get, um, where he will still be amongst the top at his position, but it puts the Chiefs in a good situation to where they still have flexibility with their salary cap. So those were, I wanted to highlight that because that does play a factor on Chris Jones's contract talk, his extension. And then one of the last players that kind of drew headlines, Jimmy Garoppolo to the Raiders. That was an interesting one. I did not I did not see that coming. He was a free agent from the 49ers signed with the for the Vegas Raiders. Gives the division some competition. No. No, I'm just kidding. That they didn't take long to replace Derek Carr. Derek Carr signed with the Saints. I'm interested to see how Jimmy G does though. The Raiders then traded Darren Waller, so that's one less weapon for him. I saw a stat today. I couldn't believe it. Do you know who has the most passing touchdowns against the AFC, like active quarterback-wise? Not counting playoff, the most passing touchdowns against the AFC for active QBs. Who? Derek Carr. Well, yeah, he's the longest tenured because he got drafted in 2015 or 2016, I believe. Isn't that wild, though? For some reason, that shocked me. I was like, wow. I guess it makes sense. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is more than likely going to break that probably this year. I believe he's 27 away. Yeah. And now Derek Carr plays in the NFC. Yeah. I just thought that was a weird stat. I was like, wow. I kind of, yeah. That that makes sense. He was one of the oldest quarterbacks in the AFC, even though he's still relatively young. I believe he's only 32 or 33. Yeah, just with him turning the ball over so much, I just didn't think he was like that. Mm-hmm. He he was solid. People, I know. Obviously, he didn't didn't have too much success in Vegas. Yeah, Vegas slash Oakland, but he he was decent. I'll give him his credit. Now we're getting to the Chiefs. I'm sure some of Chiefs Kingdom is probably panicking a little bit. I mentioned here's some of their key departures. Orlando Brown Jr. is possibly the biggest. He signed with the enemy. Out of all teams, I'm not even mad at the guy. He set the record for the highest signing bonus for the left tackle position. He's going to get $31 million this Sunday as soon as he signs the dotted line. That's incredible. But after all the trash talk the past two seasons, he signs with the Bengals. That is, that, I think it's funny, and I cannot wait to play them. And I can't wait for whoever is our defensive end to just blow past him every single time. I hope so. You know, good luck to the guy. Yeah, I mean, he set himself up financially. Good for him. But now he's the enemy. Mike Burton. 
We need a new fullback now. He signed with the Denver Broncos. We lost Juju Smith-Schuster to the Patriots. We lost Juan Thornhill to the Browns. But those that was a guy that I mentioned a few episodes ago that I think we can replace. I wasn't too worried about him. Colin Saunders signed with the Saints. I know a lot of people will say, well, he's not a big name. And no, he's not, but he's a good rotational piece. He made plays in the Super Bowl. He's just a solid guy that can come in in the second unit at defensive tackle. And honestly, I was hoping that we would bring him back. It's kind of a little bummed. He's a fan favorite, too. Yeah. Good locker room guy. So, I mean, those are some of the losses. Andrew Wiley, he signed with the Washington Commanders. So we, we've lost some players again. I believe we lost more players this offseason than we did last offseason. And of course now, they come all the storylines. Or not the storylines, but all the narratives. Kansas City's going to take another step back. Kansas, Kansas City has to replace all these guys. It's going to be difficult. They might not make the playoffs. The is going to be tougher for them. I believe one of the ones that stood out to me this week was Chris Broussard on the get-up. Or is it the get-up? I can't remember. Here's the show with Nick Wright on Fox. I can't remember the name. But Chris Broussard essentially said that the Bengals with them signing Orlando Brown, that the gap between them and the Chiefs is basically essentially gone. There is no gap. They're both 1A, 1B. Some may agree, some may not. I think that you have to put the Chiefs over them. I don't see how it makes the Bengals that much better when our tackles gave up the most pressures last year. Because you got to think, if that's not Mahomes, because Mahomes, one big improvement he had this year was throwing away the ball. He wasn't forcing it as much. They gave up the most pressures. Any other quarterback, that's probably a sack or more sacks. Joe Burrow loves to sit there in the pocket. He's he's gotten better about evading pressure and throwing the ball into the dirt too, though. I don't think he's like a sitting duck, not like Chad Henney or or like a Matt Ryan, you know. But I do agree with you. There isn't an upgrade from what they had. Maybe they had Jonah Williams. I believe he's a former first round pick. I want to say. I don't know. I'm not familiar with him too much. I don't think he was necessarily a problem on their offensive line. Their offensive line as a whole was just not very good. Maybe Orlando Brown Jr. improves it. Maybe he doesn't. I'm not sure. I don't think that the gap, I mean, with the Super Bowl champions, I'd say the Bengals probably took steps back, losing Von Bell and Jesse Bates, two of the best safeties in the league. The best, probably one of the best safety duos in the league. They've lost a few people on defense. There are a few other defensive players. They lost Samaj P. Ryan, their backup running back. Joe Mixon's in a lot of trouble. They still have to extend T. Higgins, and I'm sure Jamar Chase is probably going to reset the wide receiver market here in the next year or so. I'll, I'll, I want to, I'd pump the brakes a little bit. Bengals are up there. Don't get me wrong. They are up there with the Chiefs in the AFC. I think the Bengals are definitely better than the Bills. But to say that the gap is closed, and it's funny what Chris Broussard said too. He highlighted how the Chiefs only beat them by three in the AFC Championship game. 
But it's funny that the Bengals owned the Chiefs through those three games, even though they only beat us by three points in those three games. So which one is it? You know, we're getting discredited because we beat them by three, but oh, they own us when they beat us by three. I think that's kind of BS, but that's probably the a lot of the narratives that you, you all will see this offseason if you're a Chiefs fan. Some more news this week. Patrick Mahomes had his contract restructured. So he had $12 million converted from his roster bonus into a signing bonus, which created $9.6 million. This is not anything new. The Chiefs and Brett Veach have done this actually the past few off seasons, and it's something that they're able to do, well, they will be able to do throughout his career, which makes his contract just such a great deal. I'm so glad that they got out ahead of everybody else with his contract in 2020. That was probably the smartest decision this franchise could have ever made. I agree. It gives them so much flexibility from year to year. Yeah, his his cap hit and his yearly average is going to be high in the next few years. I believe he's due $60 million at one point. That's pretty steep. I don't know if he'll take a, little, a tiny pay cut. Maybe he stays in the $50 million range, but I think the signing bonus, the way you're able to restructure all of that, it, it definitely helps us with free agency. Now, before we move on from the NFL segment, I did mention that we were going to highlight our third top priority this offseason for the Kansas City Chiefs, the top position of need. As I mentioned, we said the number one position of need was defensive line. A few episodes ago, an offensive line last episode. Ryan, in your opinion, what is the third position of need for the Chiefs this offseason? As of right now, probably wide receiver. I think you got to get somebody. I want to agree with, I want us to have a disagreement, but third one in a row. I agree with you. Yeah, because we haven't re signed McCole, right? No. Juju left. What we have, obviously, you know, Kelsey tied in wide receiver, whatever. Our current wide receivers are on our roster right now Marquez Valadez Scantling, Kadarius Tony, Sky Moore. That's it. We have our practice squad guys. We still have Justin Ross. People, a lot of people were high on him. He was a rookie last year. He came out of Clemson. He was an undrafted rookie free agent. He still has tons of potential. He had a pretty serious injury in college, though, that is still semi-affecting him, I believe. And then we also have John Ross. If you're familiar with him, he was the guy that broke the 40 record at the NFL Combine. We have those guys, but if you're banking on practice squad guys to take a leap in their game and become you know, a number one or number two receiver that we desperately need at this point. And I wouldn't say, I put, uh, never mind, not desperately. We don't desperately need a number one. We can make it work with a, a quality group of number twos. I think we proved that last year. I just think that you need more. You shouldn't bank on practice squad guys to step up. Yeah, I guess some of it would also depend on how Pacheco can play. Because, I mean, if we have a run game, too, 
run game takes a lot of pressure off Mahomes and that receiving core. Now, some options that we do have. With with 32nd pick in the first round, you're probably not going to get a top receiver. Now, do you think the Chiefs should potentially trade up in the first round to get a top-notch guy? I know a lot of people are high on the receiver from Ohio State, Jackson Smith in Jigba. I probably just butchered his last name, but... I wasn't even going to try it. You you know who I'm talking about, right? Yeah. A lot of people are high on him. I know Chiefs Kingdom would like to draft him. Maybe do we do something like that? Do we trade for DeAndre Hopkins now? I'm not sure. I guess, you know, do we try and draft an offensive tackle? In the first round? That's, a, that's another interesting thing because you'd have to trade up for that. At 32, pick 32, you're probably not taking the left tackle. Or a right tackle. I think at that point, if you're keeping the 32nd pick, you're probably drafting defense or you're potentially trading it. I'm in the boat of they should trade the 32nd pick. Either move back and get a few more draft picks and load up, or you move up in the draft because you have 10 draft picks, I believe. There's still, rece- there's still free agent receivers out there. Adam Thielen has been linked to us. Although Beckham Jr. has been linked to us. There's more, I'm sure, but I mentioned those two guys because they're pretty notable players. Out of those two, which one would you rather have? Not OBJ. I can understand why. Coming off his second ACL injury on the same knee, you, of course, have the -the off-the-field dramatics, as you could say. He wants to be a fashion model or I don't know something in the fashion world and he still wants big money too he does want big money that's the problem with him he needs to realize that he's more than likely getting a one year prove it deal maybe worth 10 million dollars because didn't they didn't he have like what do you call it tryout I don't know what you'd call it and a bunch of the people said it didn't even look like he was ready oh the private workout yeah a contender would have picked him up if he was ready He's now 13 months removed from the ACL injury that took place in the Super Bowl. If he's not ready from that, he may never be. You know, that might be the career ender. He may still get a chance. I don't think, I don't think the Chiefs should go in that direction, especially if he wants, you know, anything more than $10 million. Adam Thielen, he's a good receiver. But he's towards the end of his career as well. He's in his early 30s, but he took a step back, obviously, for Justin Jefferson. I just don't think he's a guy that can get much separation anymore. And we need. If we can get him on a friendly deal, I don't think it'd be terrible. It wouldn't be terrible, no. He, I mean, he's still a great receiver. We can scheme him open, but if you're relying on him to, you know, because. Right now, the way our receiving core is set up, we're going to get, and we saw it last year too, we're going to get a lot of press man coverage just because opposing defenses don't think that we can beat their secondary in one-on-one matchups. In some instances, we can't, but Patrick, we have Patrick Mahomes, and you know you have to also take into account that you're more than likely having two guys on Travis Kelsey, so one of the guys is going to get open, but... We do need to find someone that can 
beat one-on-one coverage. Now, there's also the scenario, do you bring back McCole Hardman? His market right now is $10 million a season. Do you bring him back on a one-year deal, possibly, given the fact that he is coming off an injury, his pelvis injury? At this point? No, I, I, I don't know. I guess it just depends on what they plan on doing in the draft or if they do plan on trying to move up or move back. I don't know. I just don't like the injury. I agree, I agree. It's something that makes you a little reluctant to sign him. I wouldn't mind it. Honestly, I think he'd be fine if we brought him back. We're definitely not relying on him to be our number one. Maybe not even our number two. That's probably going to be MVS and Kadarius battling for that. But he is a guy that has been with us for the past four years, going on four years now. Was a part of two Super Bowl teams. He's a guy that we can use in a lot of different ways. You know, special teams, different gadget plays. And you you have to take into account his ability to stretch the field when he's fully healthy. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be mad if we re-signed him to a one-year deal. $10 million, I don't know about that. But bringing him back wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. And then say we get a receiver in the draft. And maybe we get two receivers in the draft. And then you, you know, evaluate that situation. At least you have five receivers. I think if we have five receivers on a roster that you feel comfortable with, I say that's a good situation. Yeah, I guess some of it also with the wide receiver thing, it depends on what jump Sky Moore is going to make in year two. And then, like, Tony with a full off season, you know, coming off. What week did we sign him? Or trade for him, whatever. Oh, it had to have been before the trade deadline, so probably week. I can't remember. Week, the week 10 or so. Week 11. Yeah, full off season with Pat. He can stay healthy and stuff. Who knows? I wouldn't mind it. Those Him and Sky Moore. It, the direction our receiving core is going in is going to rely heavily on those two guys. Whether they can make that next jump. Tony is entering his third year now as a pro. He needs to... You know, be he needs to know that he's a veteran now, essentially, compared to the other guys in the receiving room. That's where we'll leave off with the NFL segment, though. In the coming weeks, you guys can look forward to me and Ryan doing our mock drafts here pretty quick. And then we can really take a look at what the Chiefs are going to do if they t- keep the 10 picks. We'll see, though. I, I don't believe they will. Real quick, the Chiefs' 10 draft picks look like this. We have pick 32, we have pick 63 in round 2, we have pick 95 in round 3, pick 122 in round 4, pick 134 in round 4, we have pick 166 in round 5, pick 178 in round 6, pick 217 in round 6, and we have two 7th round picks. So lots of flexibility. I believe we do have the opportunity to get some Com, uh, compository picks because of the, some of the free agents that we lost just based on their market. I, yeah. think, I think the NFL implemented that. So we do have the opportunity to potentially get more. We'll keep you guys updated though. Tune in for more NFL news and more Chiefs news in episode 46.
Now we're getting to some baseball. We kind of break down the Royals past week pretty quick. They did suffer a three-game skid, but they did bounce back last night. They are now 15-5. and five. They still have the best record in spring training. Love to see that. They are still outscoring opponents by 51 runs. Some of their guys are obviously in the WBC. So now you're seeing a lot more of their farm system step up, which is nice to see they're still able to kind of win. And the games that they have been, the games that they lost, they weren't necessarily terrible, I believe. So still encouraging signs from the Royals in spring training as they get closer to opening day. I don't know how many more games they have left. Let's take a look. Their last spring training game will be Tuesday, March 28th against the Texas Rangers. And then we start big one, opening day, March 30th. So the Royals, they need to, over the next couple, next week and a half, they need to carry momentum into the regular season. Hopefully they end spring training on a high note. Speaking of the Royals, they've been representing pretty well in the WBC. MJ Melendez had some nice moments for Puerto Rico. Salvi was named Pool D MVP for Venezuela. He he's been on a tear for them. Hitting dingers. Hitting dingers. He became the first player since King Griffey Jr. in 2006 versus South Africa with at least four hits and five RBIs in a WBC game. Prez also joined Ivan Rodriguez. In 2009 versus Panama is the only catchers in WBC history with three extra base hits in a game. I love to see that because a lot of people want us to trade him this year. Why? Well, I mean, he's the direction they're going. They want to go younger, of course. MJ Melendez will be behind him. I don't think MJ Melendez is ready to be the everyday starting catcher. He he's good. He has upside. He has some pop in his bat. Salvi though, he's still good, even though he's nearing his mid thirties. I think you still have to respect him. Also, a quick stat on the Royals. This was as of five days ago, so obviously it changed. But before their players all went to the WBC, they were five and zero during that stretch. They were batting three forty three. They were. Had an on-base percentage of 398 and had a slugging percentage of 587. At that time, they outscored opponents 42 to 9, and they had an ERA, or they have allowed four earned runs in 45 innings during that time frame. That was as of five days ago, so obviously things were changed. But last week they played really well, and that was before a lot of their guys went to go compete in the WBC. I wanted to, oh, Vinny Pasquatino and Nicky Lopez as well. They played pretty well for Team Italy. Vinny Pasquatino kind of went into a slump. I believe he batted 200 during his WBC experience. That's tough. It is tough because I was banking on him to probably be better than Nicky Lopez. And I think Nicky Lopez batted over 400. Brady Singer had a blunder. He had one game, I believe it was against either Canada 
or Mexico where he gave up five runs or so. Yeah. And that wasn't a good sign because you're anticipating him to be the Royals' ace this year. So that was a little, you know, not very encouraging to see, but I think he can shake that off. He still has plenty of time till the opening day. Bobby Witt had a nice moment. I believe he hit a double in his first WBC at bat. So that's just kind of how the Royals are doing. They have a few other players competing for other countries. I can't remember all of them, though. And we can take a look at the U.S. and the WBC. So last week, they had a tune-up against the Padres, and they won. I don't know. I'm getting mixed up. Anyway, the Team USA, they did make it to the quarterfinals. They have their quarterfinal matchup tomorrow against Venezuela. That one's going to be tough. Salvi's on that team. It's going to be tough to root against Salvi. But Team USA, we do have to support our boys in the Stars and Stripes. Tonight's a big one for Mexico, Mexico and Puerto Rico. I'm excited to see that one. That'll be a good game. Mexico's been a nice surprise in WBC. Some of the teams that have been hot, Cuba, they played pretty well so far. Japan, Japan is the odds-on favorite to win the WBC now. Shohei Otani has been absolutely ridiculous. And Dominican Republic. What a disappointing team. What a disappointing team. They were basically dubbed the greatest baseball lineup ever, essentially. The greatest group of players you could possibly think of current. Obviously, they're they're not the greatest group ever, the greatest players ever, but the talent level that they had was unbelievable. They had multiple all-stars on that team, and they didn't make it to the quarterfinals. They were actually the odds-on favorite to win before the WBC started. Once they were announcing lineups and everything, or the players that were committed to participate, they were the odds-on favorite. To see them not make the quarterfinals, that's almost as bad as the Brooklyn Nets. Ooh. Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving. It was that bad. Unfortunately, they didn't. Some Some of the highlights from the WBC over the past or through the, the pool play and quarterfinals, I wanted to highlight Yu Chang was the pool A MVP, even though he played for the Chinese Taipei. He won the MVP, as I mentioned, seven of six, two home runs, eight RBI. It's unfortunate that he didn't get to advance to the quarterfinal rounds because I would have liked to see what he would have done. I don't believe, I'm not familiar with him. I wonder if he's in the MLB. I'm not. sure on that. Team Puerto Rico threw a perfect game. I'm not sure how often that happens in the WBC, but I thought that was really cool that they did that. And then Duke Hebert. I probably butchered his name as well. From Team Nicaragua. He was a 21-year-old pitcher. He has never played affiliated professional baseball. And then this was as of three days ago. He struck out three MLB All-Stars from, I believe it was, the Dominican Republic. As soon as that game was over, he was offered a contract by the Detroit Lions, or by the Detroit Tigers. I saw that. That was a good story. That was one of the 
the nice feel-good stories of the WBC so far. I've tried my best to keep up with it, but I'm such a casual. I'm worse than a casual. There are a lot of players I'm not familiar with at all. It is nice, though, to see all these countries come together and play. It's nice to see the game of baseball expand, which kind of leads into the next conversation we have here. The WBC in the matchup between Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic, as I mentioned at the top of the show, it caused a, a lot of controversy. Edwin Diaz, star closer for the Mets, blew his knee out at the end of the game, celebrating after he shut down the Dominican Republic and helped Puerto Rico advance to the quarterfinals. A lot of people were upset. New York Mets fans were upset. And the question started to be raised, should the MLB players be playing in this tournament? People were calling it an exhibition game, and it wasn't important. I think for me, I don't know how you feel, Ryan, but for me, I think that is so disrespectful to these players, especially the Latin players or European players or even the Asian players. This was their one opportunity to play for their country. Think about how often they get to play for their country. Because I think the Olympics is, they haven't had baseball in it. They had it for a while, but I believe they took it out. And I think they're working to have it as an event upcoming. But as I mentioned, you don't, these players don't get the chance to represent their country very often as a team. If you think about those countries, some of them are not as fortunate as the United States. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't see why playing for your country would ever be a bad thing. One guy that comes to mind that was very outspoken about it was, I can't remember his name exactly. He was a bar bar stool guy, not bar top. Oh, is that KFC bar stool or whatever? Yeah. Oh, they are wild. No affiliation with us. No affiliation with us. We are not an extension of them. We do do not represent them. They are not a representation of us either. He was very outspoken. He was saying that it's very stupid that Edwin Diaz got hurt in there. He shouldn't have been playing. He's obviously a Mets fan too, though. But I think where he was coming from for me was essentially saying that these players had nothing to play for and that the WBC wasn't important and that it needed to be taken away. And that plays into my point of it's just very disrespectful to these players, their upbringing and their, from their home countries and a sense of pride, you know, of being, of knowing where you come from. I, I, I was just, I'm shocked, left speeches. You know, how, how could you say something like that? Marcus Stroman would clap back at him, though. I saw that. Mike's best friend. Heck yeah. Teammates at Duke. He's on Mike's only platinum song. I was glad that somebody at least spoke out to someone like that. Because if you think about it, I'm sure a lot of people in the United States probably have the same opinion as him. 
but they will never know what it's like to come from countries like that to have an upbring upbringing like that where they're maybe not as fortunate as others and it puts life into perspective honestly outside of sports yeah because yeah, a lot of those countries they don't have like the proper like dietitians and stuff the resources nothing exactly you see the fields i've seen some of those like the equipment they use and everything it's like what i don't know i disrespectful that's all i don't know if he even believes it if it was just a hot take to try and go viral or if he was just being facetious but i thought it was pretty foolish not a good look for him because then old tweets were pulled of his yep saying some cancel worthy stuff rightfully so though yes i agree i'm not going to go into details about that but yeah I think the WBC needs to stick around. Players could get injured in spring training. Gavin Lux tore his ACL in spring training. The second baseman for the Dodgers, I believe. Anything can happen. It's not just because they're playing in the WBC. The WBC is great. WBC has actually been drawing in a lot of viewers. It's been drawing in more viewership than the World Series, I believe. I want to say. I can't remember exactly what the numbers were. I don't have them saved, unfortunately. Wish I did. Oh, here's, here we go. WBC has reached unprecedented levels of popularity, according to ESPN, or according to Bleacher Report walk-off. Per MLB figures, crowds during pool play totaled over 100 fans, the best attended round in tournament history, and nearly double, doubled the previous high of over 500,000 six years ago. And that's not even including, you know, the te- the television market. I believe I saw another statistic in Japan. 49% of, oh, what was it? 49% of homes in Japan tuned in for Japan's games. 49%. Half of the country was tuning in. You know, that that's how much it means to these other countries. You know, but... United States, oh, that tournament shouldn't be played. I don't agree with that. I think the WBC is unique. I I love it. It this is the first time I've ever really paid attention to it, and yeah, I'm a casual to it. I'll admit that. I'm kind of hopping on the bandwagon. I'll I'll admit that too. But it is fun to see a sport bring that many people together. I think it's really cool. It's special, man. It really is. We'll keep you guys updated next week to see who makes the finals or the semifinals. I believe the semifinals will take place this week. So more than likely we'll be able to preview the finals, I believe. Hopefully the United States makes it. I hope Mexico makes it too. Is there a team you've been secretly rooting for? No. No. Not Team Japan? You don't like Shohei? No. Shohei Otani, he's excited, man. That dude's electrifying. I'm trying to get more into baseball so I can not be a complete casual all summer, but it's tough. I understand, man. I understand. I did forget to mention the NFL segment real quick that we did sign potentially Orlando Brown Jr.'s replacement in Jawan Taylor. He had the third lowest pressure rate allowed in the NFL last season. And we also signed a defensive end from the San Francisco 49ers. Trying to pull up the name real quick. I do apologize for not bringing this up. Charles 
Amenahu. Probably butchered his last name too. Really hope I didn't. To, we'll come to the end of the show now with a look at the NBA. Let's go. Playoffs are around the corner. Very exciting to see these teams, you know, the level of competition starting to raise. I believe you mentioned that last week, Ryan. Mm-hmm. But more so focused on the standings, not so much the power rankings, just so, just because we're so late into the week on this Friday edition of Bar Top Sports Talk. Milwaukee, Boston, Philly, Cleveland, Denver, Sacramento. I think those are some of the top teams in the league right now. I don't think too much has changed at the top of the top of the power rankings or so. I guess you had to make one. The Eastern Conference standings look like this. You have Milwaukee at number one. They have now a two-game lead over the Boston Celtics, my Boston Celtics. Philadelphia is the third seed with 46 wins. Cleveland is the fourth seed with 44 wins. The New York Knicks are number five with 41 wins. Brooklyn is still on the edge of the playing tournament, but they're, for now, one of the top six seeds in the Eastern Conference, which is pretty surprising, I would say. Yeah, I thought they were going to fall off. Miami just can't quite get there. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with that. That's crazy. Too busy playing Nickelback. <laughs> Miami's the seventh seed. Atlanta can't quite get it either. That trade for DeJounte Murray, I picked them to win that division. I know divisions in the NBA don't really matter, but I picked them to win the, I believe the Atlantic or the South Atlantic or something like that. They're the eight seed. Toronto, number nine. Washington, number 10. But for seeds eight through, or for seeds eight through 10, they're only separated by two games and then the Indiana Pacers are on the edge as well they're on the outside of the play-in tournament for the Eastern Conference but they are only two games away from the Atlanta Hawks at seed number eight now the Western Conference this is the one everyone wants to see just because of how tight it is Denver no surprise at number one Sacramento is actually catching up to them which is shocking Denver's five and five in their last ten games. Sacramento's eight and two. They're on a two-game winning streak. They're only five, four and a half behind Denver. Do you think that there's a scenario, Ryan, that we see the Sacramento Kings take over the number one seed in the Western Conference? I don't know. I've been wrong about them all year, so who knows? I they just could. Think, I think the Denver Nuggets—they're too talented to lose that. That'd be that'd be surprising. Memphis, without Jaw, they're three, the third seed still. Jaw Morant actually got suspended eight games. That was some of the storyline, or one of the storylines this past week. Phoenix at thirty-eight and thirty-two is the four seed. The Clippers at number five with thirty-seven wins. Golden State staying out of the playing tournament with thirty-six wins. But then this is where it gets. Really, really sticky. Golden State is only separated by the 10th seed by two games. That goes to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Give Minnesota at number seven, Dallas at number eight, 
Lakers at number nine. They're in the playing tournament. I feel like that's all they needed to do was get in the playing tournament. They just need to get a chance. They're six and four in the last ten games. And your Oklahoma City Thunder. They've six made, out of their last eight. They've made it into the playing tournament. I think they're they're dangerous. They're young, but they are dangerous. Yeah, they play the Mavs tonight. So if they win, they'd go up to the eight. Or I don't know how that works because the T Wolves and the Mavericks are both thirty five and thirty five. So Timberwolves have been a letdown this year as well. Yeah. I don't think there was very many high expectations for them though, with Rudy Gobert and Cat. Yeah, they were supposed to be the new twin towers. That didn't work. The Western pl- Conference playing tournament. I think the Lakers have to make that out. Make that out of there, right? I don't know. It's so weird. Anthony Davis didn't play. He can't play two back to backs, or he can't play back to backs because the the Lakers front office doesn't want him to. Do, even though he's only thirty years old, with the playoffs on the line, LeBron, his. Health is still in question. I think they're just banking. The Lakers front office and their coaching staff is just banking on the Lakers to make it into the play-in tournament, and then LeBron will play. But they still have a lot of work to do. It's it's not a given yet. I hope they don't take it for granted. Otherwise, they're going to get bounced. You were going to mention the New Orleans Pelicans, right? Yeah, so I know we don't talk about them a lot, but since they're out of the, since they got knocked out of the playoffs, I mean they could still get back in, but last week they were in, this week they're out. They reevaluated Zion. He's gonna be reevaluated again in two weeks. So there's only 14 games left for them. But what do you do? They're at a point with 33 wins. They're still in the running for the play-in tournament. I just think these injuries have caught up to him too much. Yeah, I know he's like your favorite player ever, but in July of 2022, he signed a five-year rookie max extension, and I didn't really know what a rookie max extension was. So for the rookie max extension in the NBA, it's 25% of the salary cap, and it's a five-year deal. Right now he's making 198, but with the increase of the salary cap, it's projected to be 230. In his rookie year, 24 games; second year, 61 games; third season, missed the entire season and only played 29 games so far. Do you feel like you gotta try and move him, or who would even take him? Do you shut him down for the season? Maybe give him another year, because especially with the hamstring injury like that. It's obviously not healing well, or he re-injured it, something like that, because now there's a few more weeks they're going to reevaluate him. So, like, you don't want to rush him back and then get him hurt, even if you don't make the playoffs. So what do you do? How do you move forward knowing he's taking 25% of your salary cap? I think you still keep him. I say you give him one more season. And if by All-Star break next year, they aren't a playoff team, if they're not a top six seed, you have to consider your options. Because I would like to see that big three of him, Brandon Ingram, and CJ McCollum work. But I will say this. Their next four games, 
is going to determine whether they make the playoffs. And I'm not, it doesn't literally mean that, but these next four games could either make things more difficult for them to get in or it improves their chances by a little bit. It just depends on what other teams do. If they say they go two and two over these next two, four games, or if they go one and three, you pack the season in. You pack it up, get ready for next year. There's no reason to lean on CJ McCollum heavily. There's no reason to lean on Brandon Ingram heavily. You let those guys get a rest, get ready for next year, and then see what you have with Zion as well. Because their next four games, they have the Rockets twice. They have the Spurs, and they have the Hornets. Winnable games. Possibly could go 4-0 during that stretch. If they don't, I mean, the NBA's been pretty wild this season. You just never know. I'm in the bow. They pack the season up, get Zion healthy, come back next year. Because they were a top seed at one point when they were fully healthy. The potential is there, man. But I don't know. I think you keep them, though. I think you do. Yeah, I mean, they might be forced to with that contract. When he's on the court, he's, he is a valuable player. I think he's one of the top 25 players in the league when he's fully healthy. Yeah, keyword win, though. Yeah, yeah. Real quick, before we end this 45th episode of Bar Top Sports Talk, we'll take a look at the NBA MVP standings. This is according to NBA.com as well. So this is their own peeps. They have Joel Embiid at number one. He's overtaking the Joker. He's averaging 33 points per game, 10 rebounds per game, and four assists per game. The Lakers or the 76ers have been playing pretty well. They've maintained the three seed. I think he has a very compelling case. Nikolai Jokic, 24 points per game, nearly 25 points per game, 11 rebounds per game, nearly 12 rebounds per game, and nearly. 10 assists per game at 9.9. He's very, very close to averaging a triple-double once again. Actually, I don't know if he's ever averaged it, but he's very close. The Nuggets have maintained the number one seed in the West. Do you think JoJo catches him? Or do you think JoJo finishes ahead of him? I hope so. It's a close race because Giannis is at number three as well. I think it's a three-man race between those guys. Yeah, I don't see anybody else surpassing those dudes. I think it's it's very close. I kind of think that some people probably want to put Embiid over Jokic because they don't want to see Jokic win three straight. But at the same time, Joel Embiid has been very deserving of it this year. Yeah. I feel like the Joker has a better team, too. I mean, you could also say tougher conference, too. I mean, I'm not hating on it either way. I feel like you have a strong case for either one of those guys, but I'm just biased, maybe. I do feel like Embiid doesn't get the credit he deserves. I agree there. I'll say this. Joel Embiid wins it if if the 76ers can overtake the Celtics for the two seed. I hope that doesn't happen, but I think that JoJo gets the MVP if that does take place. Yeah, only three games back from Milwaukee. It could happen. Now, the rookie of the year race, we haven't talked about it much. We actually, I don't think we've highlighted it at all, really. It's beginning to get 
become a debate with people in the Twitter sphere, at least. Because people don't like who's at number one. I don't think you will either. Paulo Bancaro is the top candidate for Rookie of the Year. Why wouldn't I like him? Or like that just because of the college you played for? Well, that. And number two is Jalen Williams of Oklahoma City. He's been gaining more and more traction over the last couple of weeks to win the award over Paulo. I think it's fair to say that NBA Twitter likes him over Paulo Bencaro for whatever reason. Paul- It'd be cool. Paulo Bencaro, though, his season totals are 20 points per game, six rebounds, three assists. People always bring up his efficiency. He doesn't shoot the ball very well. Most of it's just bad shots, but that's because he's the number one option on Orlando. Jalen Williams is averaging his season totals obviously aren't as good as Paulo's, but as of late, he's averaging 20 points per game, seven rebounds per game, and five assists per game. Much better than Paulo's, I would say. He's his league in charges. Drawn, or how do you say that? Drawn, yeah, drawn charges. I just think if he were to have done that the whole season, then the award would be his over Paulo. I think Paulo gets it, though. The third person was Walker Kessler of Utah. I don't think, I think it's a two man race, though, between Paulo and Jalen Williams. Paulo Bancaro more than likely gets it, though. You have anything else you want to add before we round off this episode? No, man. No closing words? No. How about this? Rock Chalk. Forever. Rock Chalk it up against Arkansas. Hope you guys enjoyed episode 45. We'll keep you guys updated on March Madness. Sweet 16, Elite 8 next week. More NFL news. WBC slash spring training. And another week of the NBA. Tune in for episode 46. We'll see you guys then.